Today, I am simply entitling the message, The People Believed. And if you, the scripture that Jacob just read talks about how um, Thomas believed and the signs that he saw. And earlier, Cherise read from Exodus when, when the people were coming through, and it says that they believed as they saw everything God did to protect them from the Egyptians that they believed at that time. And so it is, it's fascinating because as we go through this account, we will notice that various times that it says that the people believed, and then you'll see other times that they had unbelief. And sometimes it's the very same people, and you'll see various reward or um, consequence happening because of their, either their belief or their unbelief. And so we start today in Exodus chapter 4, where we were last week. And Exodus chapter 4, we're going to read the entire chapter, um, and I'm going to pause at se- several points and and bring our attention to different pieces of this. So we started last week with the first couple verses. So Exodus chapter four, verse one, it says, then Moses answered and said, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you. So at this point, what we're, we're, it's, this is a continuation of what's happening at the burning bush. And so we had, um, first we had Moses saying, I'm, something's happening over there. I'm going to go over there. He made a decision to go there. And then the Lord spoke to him, called his name, and he said, here I am. And so those were two statements he had made. I'm going to go over there, see what's going on, my paraphrase. And then who, uh, here I am. Then he asked a series of questions as God is speaking to him. First, he says, who am I? And then he asks, what should I say? And then he says, suppose they don't listen. Suppose they don't believe. And so the Lord has been going along with him, answering each one, giving him like uh, some of the questions back in chapter three, when he says, what shall I say to them? He gives, the Lord gives him this whole outline of how he's going to go. They're going to do signs in front of Pharaoh. Pharaoh's heart is going to be hardened. And eventually they're going to leave and, and even gives the instruction that the ladies are supposed to borrow jewelry and take the jewelry from Egypt with them as they leave. And so you have this, this entire, like the answer is, well, you know, what do I say? And God gives him the whole outline. Here's what's happening. And so now we're in chapter four and he says, and he says, suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. And this is where in verse two, so the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses fled from it. So as Tim pointed out last week, you know, Moses is barefoot from, because he's by the fire and suddenly there's a snake and he's running. And so this is, this is quite a scenario. And the Lord said in verse four, then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand, take it by the tail. And he reached out and his hand caught it and it became a rod in his hand. Verse five, that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, now put your hand in your bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom. When he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And he said, put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it out of his bosom. And behold, it was restored like his other flesh. Then it will be if they do not believe you nor heed the message of the first sign that they may believe the message of the latter sign. And it shall be if they do not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice that you shall take water from the river and pour it on the dry land. The water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. Verse 10, then Moses said to the Lord, 
And so this is one of Moses' first, this is now him, not a question that he's asking of the Lord, but now he's making a statement. And he is, so this is, this is, and I want to point this out because there's many times when we ask questions, even when we say, why me, Lord? We're asking a question that we might actually be able to get an answer for. But when we go to making a statement, we're saying something about ourselves, we are sometimes missing what God is doing. So I wanted to just point this out, that he's asking, who, who am I to go? What should I say? What if they don't listen? And then, the, then in verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Verse 11, so the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth, or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? So this is now, it got reversed. God has been calling to him and he's been asking questions and God has been explaining things. Suddenly the conversation changes where Moses makes statements and God asks questions. And when God asks questions, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. He's asking questions for a different reason. He's asking you the question. And so whenever you sense a question coming from the Lord, it is important to really listen up to this question because the question implies that not only is there an answer and a truth to be known, but that you should have already known it. And, and you weren't thinking straight. You had some other contrivance happening. So I remember back, now this was before I was married, and I had latched on to the idea that I needed to marry someone that came exactly from where I came from. I wanted to find someone altogether like myself. And so I went on a journey of a number of years and eventually um, after not being successful in finding a wife amongst the people that I came from and not being able to find someone, I remember one afternoon, evening, I was, I was praying about it. And at that time I would often, I had my own little apartment and so next to my bed, I had a little stand with my Bibles. And so a lot of times I would just lie down on the floor while I was reading the Bible because it was, a, it was a comfortable way of reading. And so I was just lying there reading and I got to praying about my marital status. I was thinking, well, what about this? What about that? And so finally I ask, I'm just praying about it, asking the Lord, well, you know, don't you want me to be married and all of this other stuff? And just as clear as you know, it was not an audible voice, but just very clearly, I had the question in my mind asked. It was like the, 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 the question was, do you want someone who has been where you have been, or do you want someone who's going where you're going? And it was a very strong sense that this was not me asking the question. This was God asking the question. And so when he asked the question, I suddenly look at my, at my, logic for why I want someone who comes from my background and my entire logic was, well, I want to make sure that they can understand me or whatever. I didn't even think one time about where I was going and what God was calling me to or what the equipping was necessary in order to walk together into the future. The future was more important than the past, but I was stuck on the past and, and when when I stopped in that moment and thought about it, I said, I don't even know why I'm so stuck on this. Why do I even care? Like why, what, what was about this? And I understand from a, a, a heritage sense, like it would be a lot easier if Stacy and I spoke all the same languages all the time. That would be nice. However, there is a calling that God has for us that is very important for us to go forward. 
and we'll touch back on this in a minute, uh, just this concept of, of sharing our faith with our spouse. But in this moment, when, when that was probably the first time that I considered that maybe I should marry someone who has a similar calling on their life and that is headed in the same direction as I am. And, and, and I stopped thinking that I had to find someone from my past. And so when God asked the question of Moses and he says, who has made man's mouth? See, if, if Moses is standing at the burning bush and he's come over here and now God himself is speaking to him and then Moses says, um, I'm sorry, but I really can't talk. I'm not good at speaking. Is God supposed to say, oh, my mistake, wrong desert, wrong shepherd. I, I had no idea who I was talking to. Thank you for telling me that you can't speak. I didn't, I, it, it just never occurred to me. Like, was God surprised at Moses' ability or inability to speak? No, there was a reason why God chose Moses. And it wasn't because he said, I, I need the most eloquent person. There were other reasons why. It had to do some with Moses' past, some with who he was, that he'd been set apart from the time he was born. There was something here that was more important than Moses' ability to speak. And this is important for us because there are times when we see an opportunity, we see a necessity of moving forward to do something, we see a need, we sense a call, I should probably do this with my life, and then we start to assess our abilities and we say, well, I am not able to do that because I'm not good at this or I'm not good at that. And yet, if it is the Lord who is knocking and calling and he's asking us to do something, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. You know, I think of sometimes um, something that's happened, um, and I suppose this happens in all cultures eventually, but like it's happened especially in our Western culture where, uh, and especially in the United States, where if, if, if I ask you a question, like, are you called to be a pastor? You automatically put in your mind the person that you think is a pastor, and you put all the qualifications there of what you have seen as successful pastors. So where do you go? Well, you might actually go to some, some uh, successful pastor who has a large church and has a, a television ministry who's an, in the national eye and he's famous, and you might immediately think that's what it is. And you say, well, I don't actually match up to any of these things. But what if that's not what the Lord was asking you? Because back in 2009, I had a very specific idea of what a pastor was supposed to be. And when I sensed that God was calling me to be a pastor, I was like, Lord, I don't want to be that. And he says, did I ask you to be that? Do I not know, says the Lord, what a pastor is supposed to be? And don't I know who you are and what you're called to be? And so the question comes down with Moses. It would have been better had he come on with a question and said, so Lord, like how much talking am I really supposed to do? Because I, I feel a little bit awkward with the way I'm slow of speech. Um, like, is this going to require a lot? And, and what God was wanting to tell Moses, like, no, I actually want you to look pretty, pretty plain and somewhat humble. And I want you to walk in there and you speak words. And Pharaoh says, ha, whatever. And then you say, look at this. And boom, the Lord shows up. That's what I want you to, that's what I want them to see. So I don't want you to go in there making flowery Patrick Henry sorts of speeches. I want you to go in there and just speak exactly what I tell you. If you're too good at speaking, you're going to make stuff up. You're going to take the message that the Lord has given you, and then you're going to embellish it and, and, and add flourishes, and you're going to add all this other stuff, and pretty soon the people who are listening 
we're going to have a confusion of, did the Lord say that or did you say that? Well, with Moses, with you being slow of speech, you will not run that risk. You're going to say exactly what I'm telling you to say because you won't have anything else to add. That's why I chose you. If you would have asked the question, they could have continued as it was with the, with the man asking the questions and God giving the answers. But suddenly the man gives the answer and says, actually, this is impossible. I am not eloquent. I am slow of speech. And God says, let me ask you a few questions. Who made your mouth? Who made the deaf, the seeing, the blind? Have I not I the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. In this moment, Moses in verse 13, so Exodus 4 verse 13, he says, but he said, oh, my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. Again, this is not a question. This is God. This is now man instructing God. Moses is telling God what he ought to do. You should go find another man. In verse 14, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And look, he is also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. And I will teach you what you shall say. So he shall be your spokesman to the people and he himself shall be as a mouth for you and you shall be to him as God. And you shall take this rod in your hand with which you shall do, so, do the signs. So now Moses is being sent out. God says, okay, you don't have to talk, just go. I'm gonna send someone else to do the talking. It's in this moment that I think is important for us to realize something. Throughout scripture, many times we'll see God uh, Jesus, especially in the New Testament, sending out people two by two. We see often in the Old Testament when there is a revival in the city of Jerusalem, you'll see a king and a priest who are both working together to make some, to, to bring on the revival. It's very seldom that you see one person doing all the work. There's usually several people who are all responding to God at the same time. Well, here was God speaking with Moses saying, I want you to lead this out. And so I do not know for sure if this is a, was just an example for us so we'd fully understand this, or if this was, if, if the way Moses would have led would have included Aaron when they met. I'm not sure what the plan was exactly, but Moses basically says, I don't want to do the part you've called me to do. I'm kind of willing, but you know, I mean, you're God. But at this point, this is not Moses' highest point. Now we've seen quite a bit of Moses' life um, when he's put in the basket as a child. That was not his volition, not his decision. Um, when we see him growing up in Pharaoh's house, that was not his accomplishment. So while he was probably very accomplished, it wasn't his will or desire to go there. And now we have him sh watching sheep. And so like his father-in-law respects him, likes him, but we don't see him as really being the leader that God has asked, that, that we think of him um, now. When we look back and we think of who Moses was, we don't see that Moses yet. We see a different Moses at this point. And so Moses is growing, he's becoming who he's going to be, but he's not there yet. But God is sending him out. So it says in verse 18, so Moses went, returned to, his Jethro, to Jethro, his father-in-law, said to him, please let me go and return to my brethren who are in, e in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. Now the Lord said to Moses in Midian, go return to Egypt for all the men who sought your life are dead. Then Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey and he returned to the land of Egypt and Moses took the rod of God in his hand. 
And the Lord, so notice how he calls it the rod of God. Uh, and the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. So we have this, this is a, an expectation that God has set for Moses, where he says, I'm going to, you're going to say this, but Pharaoh is not going to automatically listen to you. There's going to be a problem. And so he gives a little bit more of what, the, what will happen. Now, many, many times in our callings, when God calls us, he calls us at a time when we are able to see the impossibilities, when we're able to see what is wrong with the picture. We, we look at it and say, well, you're actually asking me to go do something that seems impossible, that seems too big for me to accomplish. And this is a good place to be in. There are times when we sense God calling us, like this might be the moment when Moses came running out um, in Egypt the first time when he went out to see the Hebrews and he kills the Egyptian and he kills, you know, so, and then he's running because he's killed the Egyptian. And so there are times when God calls us, we immediately assume that God means something. We paint the picture. We say, this is, I think, what God wants me to do. So if you've, and, and I have noticed this now, um, I had a few people early on in my uh, late teens and early 20s when I would tell them that God had called me to do something, a few people would react a little bit squirrely and they'd be like, what do you mean God called you? Like, is this a decision you made or did, like, did you see the burning? Like, what, what do you mean? And so what I started noticing was that a lot of times if we have something in our life that we want to do, we will pray about it and then we'll say, well, God asked me to do this. And then Here's the challenging part is if it doesn't work out, we will say, well, God called me to go off to this other thing. Um, and so at some point you have to ask the question, well, which one is it? Did God call you or didn't he? Did he just really want you to walk a zigzag path everywhere? Or is there a potential for us to blame God, to, to invoke God, to give ourselves permission to go do something that we don't, take the time to think through and count the cost. Because if we want to live the Christian life, we need to count the cost. We need to say, what will it take? Well, it's going to require a complete and total surrender to him. It's going to, it's going to require us to give up our own way and to allow Jesus to have his way. It's going to make us love our enemies, to bless those who curse us. It's going to take us into places where we may not want to go. We will have to die to ourselves. We will now, it is a path with his presence. He will walk with us. We will be able to rejoice. We will have joy in him. However, it is not an easy path. And so it's important for us to be counting this cost. So it's good in this case, the Lord is telling Moses, you're going to go, this is what's going to happen. And so the first time that someone did, that, that Pharaoh tells Moses, no, nope, not doing it, Moses does not despair. So his, his expectations are set properly more and more. And we'll see as we continue here, there's one other thing that happens. That's a, it's a strange bit when you first read it. You're like, what in the world is going on here? So this is Exodus chapter four, verse 24. It says, it came to pass on the way at the encampment that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. So now they're stopped at a, they're camping on the way up. They're stopped at one of the stopping points. And it says in verse 25, then Zipporah, his wife, then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, surely you are a husband of blood to me. So he, 
presumably with God, let him go, Moses, let Moses go. And she said, you are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. So that's, that's all. That's the paragraph. And then it goes on to, then the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him on the mountain of God and kissed him. Okay, so now going back to this moment, we have something. Moses ha- is from the descendants of Abraham. And so when God says and speaks to him, it says um, in, back, in, back in verse 5, Exodus 4, verse 5, it says that they, the children of Israel, may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So Moses' relationship with God and specifically who he is is tied up with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, Zipporah, his wife, and, and, and his father-in-law, Jethro, they are also descendants of Abraham, but they're not descendants of Isaac and Jacob. And so when they speak of the God who has called them, and that, that when he is a priest in Midian, the, the person that the God that they're worshiping, if they're still true to their ancestry, is the God of Abraham. Now, this is not quite the same as being the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're missing a lot of interaction with Isaac and Jacob over here. And so what we find is, at some point, Moses has a child, and we don't know what, what happens with these sons exactly, other than that they're not circumcised when they're born. And so this seems to indicate that Zipporah and her family was not practicing circumcision, even though Abraham was. And so the daughters of Keturah and her sons, somehow this did not translate. Maybe it did for a generation and then it ceased. We don't know this. We were left with a, a kind of a big gaping hole, but suddenly we're going back. And it seems that when God opposes Moses, Zipporah knows exactly what the problem is. So this means that there has been some communication. So at some point, Moses said, here's what we should do. And she said, say what? We're going to do that? No, we're not going to do any circumcision. There's no circumcision in this family. We don't do that. And he was like, but that's what we do. I'm making this up now that you won't read this in scripture, but I'm trying to connect these dots because we get to the point where God is opposing Moses and his wife knows exactly what the problem is. She goes and circumcises that child and immediately everything's taken care of. So we have these two people. They both love the God of Abraham, but they're not both following the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They don't have the full history. And so there has not been a continuation down to this point. So this is fascinating to me that this is a, this is a marriage where you say, well, yes, she believes in God. And this is taking me back to where I was. Like, where am I headed? What is the future of my calling? Well, in Moses' case, the future of his calling was that he was going to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt into the, to, to the promised land. Now, he fell short and didn't make it into the promised land, but that was his calling. That's where he was headed. And so his wife comes along, and she's not even one of his own people. She does connect back in time to Abraham, but she's not one of the Israelites in Egypt. So now we have Moses, who spent a bunch of time out of Egypt. Um, we have Zipporah, who's never been a slave in Egypt, and here they are, they're now married, they're having children, and there is a discussion on how do we serve the God of our fathers. And there seems to be something of a disagreement. If my wife accuses me of being a husband of blood, I don't take that necessarily as a compliment. Like there seems to be a problem in the relationship a little bit. There's something rough here, but she goes, okay, 
All right, so that's what God wants of you. Okay, and she grabs a flint stone and she does the circumcision on the spot. And so I don't want to read too much into it, but I don't want to leave it untouched because we will see later that we have the Midianites who seem to have a fear of God, but they don't, they're not always instructed in according to knowledge. And so here we have the same situation where there's some understanding of God, but they're not following God in the same way that God's chosen people are. And so the fact that, that Moses is following the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and now also Moses, and then we have Zipporah going, well, I serve the God of Abraham, and I don't know if they have a list. Do they have, you know, do they also say, well, this, you know, this was my grandfather or whoever, and then, and then Jethro, like, did, we don't ever read that in scripture. It's just, we see the lineage, we see where it comes from, but Moses has a longer history in his family where they're specifically being called out, set apart to follow God. And this is what, what I found fascinating about that is when two young people meet, you, they can say, well, we both believe in God, so everything's fine. However, how do you believe in God? How do you interact? And the place where it shows up is your children. You, you'll be like, I'm fine with that. We can do that. We can do that. And then a child shows up and you say, wait, you want to? No, I don't want my child to do that. And suddenly you care on a level you didn't care before. And so this is where you can sometimes have a Protestant that will marry a Catholic and they're doing just fine until the child comes along. What are we gonna do with this child? Are we gonna raise him up in the Catholic tradition or in the Protestant tradition? Um, so you'll have the question, is this child going to go, uh, are we doing Sunday school? What are we doing? And so the questions that seem so small when you first meet someone can suddenly become huge when you put it in the context of children. What are we going to do with our children? And so it's, it's helpful for Stacy and I that for the most part, we agree on what we kind of want to do with our children. Every so often she'll have some idea and I'm just like, are you kidding me? And she'll be like, well, yeah, that's what everyone does with their children. I'm like, not everyone. I know quite a few who don't. Do we have to? And then we talk about it and we, we have to come to an agreement of how we raise children. So this is, this is kind of funny that here in the middle of Exodus as we're getting ready for this big thing, we have a small marriage lesson right here on, on, on that it really, if you want to know what you believe, put yourself in the shoes and say, okay, when I have a child, a son, how do I want to raise that son? And that's where you'll find what you really value. You'll find some of that deep, what's in there. When I have a daughter, how do I want to take care of her? How do I want to provide for her? What do I want her to know and learn? How do I want to launch her? Okay, so now you start finding what you really believe. You're going deep and discovering that. And so now you might be able to talk better because before then you might just make, speak platitudes and say, well, this or that, you know, it's all good, you know, just, yeah. and then suddenly you really care. So this is what was, this is, seems to be what was happening here is that Zipporah was like, no, we're not doing that. If she hadn't known exactly what to do in the moment, I would assume Moses had fallen short and had not told her. But because she knew what to do when Moses was in the stranglehold from the spirit of the Lord, uh, it seems that she already knew and had rejected it. And now God was saying, excuse me, if you walk with this man, you will serve his God. And this is part of our, of the relationship. And suddenly, okay. So she does it. So fascinating. There might be other things there that I'm not talking about. Those were the things that stood out to me this week. Verse 27, 
Exodus 4, verse 27 says, And the Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So now God is actually speaking to Aaron. This is important to note. So he went and met him on the mountain of God and kissed him. So Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord who had sent him and all the signs which he had commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he did the signs in the sight of the people. Now, it's important to note that Aaron went and spoke the words. Moses told Aaron, Aaron told the people. And then it just says, then he did the signs in the sight of the people. First reading through here, remembering that God instructed Moses what to do, I would assume that that he would mean Moses. But if you continue on with the account, you discover maybe not. Because, well, it says, so in verse 31, it says, so the people believed when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked on their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshiped. All right, now turn with me over to in Exodus chapter seven for this, he did the signs in the sight of the people. Who is he? Exodus chapter seven, verse eight. Well, let's just read verse seven because it's interesting. Exodus chapter seven, verse seven, it says Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. So they're going, this is, we're jumping forward to where they're actually going to speak to Pharaoh. In verse eight, it says, then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. You'll see their names together a lot in the next couple of chapters. Uh, He spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, when Pharaoh speaks to you saying, show a, a miracle for yourselves, then you shall say to Aaron, take your rod and cast it before Pharaoh and let it become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and they did so just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants and it became a serpent. But Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers. So the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments but every man threw down his rod and they became serpents. For every man threw down his rod and they became serpents, but Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. And Pharaoh's heart grew hard and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. All right, several things. One is Aaron is the one throwing down the rod. So in the wilderness, Moses, God said, hey, Moses, we're going to go there. You're going to throw down your rod. Look what it's going to be like. He throws down his rod. He runs away barefoot, screaming like a little girl. I mean, he runs away. God tells him, go pick up the rod. He picks up the rod. He picks, it turns back into a snake, I mean, from a snake back into a rod. And so now he's headed back and he says, but he complains right after he's given all of this. So he has just seen all of this. And then he says, but you, I can't talk. And God says, okay, I'll choose someone else. I'm going to send Aaron. You're going to tell Aaron, and Aaron's going to tell the people. So now we get there. Aaron was not at the burning bush. It does say that Aaron, that God, the Lord spoke to Aaron, but Aaron was not at the burning bush. Aaron was not there when God the first time said, throw your rod down. Aaron didn't get to see that. But it seems that when they went back to the people, that when, when Moses was telling Aaron, he told him everything. And even with his own people, Aaron must have done the signs. And the people saw it and they said, wow, that's pretty awesome. They believed, the people believed. And now uh, Aaron and Moses are going up to Pharaoh and Aaron does it again. So I was, I was just thinking through all of this. Moses had the burning bush experience. Based off of his words that he spoke to Aaron and then to the people, Aaron and the people believed. But when it came to be there in front of Pharaoh, Aaron did the signs, not Moses. So 
I'm just thinking in terms of all of us today, when God calls us to do something, when God asks us to believe in his word, there are times when we look at the circumstances, we look at the situations, and we enumerate them to the Lord. So we're not asking, Lord, how do you want to do this? We're telling you, Lord, it's impossible. It's too late. It's wrong. It's messed up. Um, I, I am in- incapable. However, we, we come to him and we explain to God why what he just said won't work. And so this is important for us to think about because it could be in a, in a, in a relationship. We might look at our marriage relationship and say, well, Lord, um, I know that you instituted marriage and I know that you've seen a lot of things, but you've never seen this. This is too much. This is too hard. I, we can't go forward. It may be um, in a, in a, when you're looking at your children, you say, well, there's no way that this child can ever come back to the Lord. There's just a problem here, uh, you know, and you're just telling. It may be with a work-related situation. It may be finances. It may, there are so many things that God has already given us instruction on what to do, where we have, just like Moses sitting at the burning bush, hearing everything that God is telling him about what's to happen, and then after he's heard all of that, he comes away and says, yeah, but I can't talk, so game over. And so the Lord says, okay, you take the bench, Aaron, you take the ball. And so at this point, God could very well have said, look, burning bush, my presence, all of this, Moses, you just go back to the sheep. I'm going to forget you. Let's use Aaron. He could have, but he doesn't. He keeps Moses in the game. He keeps Moses working alongside. And in fact, eventually, the, the part that Sharice read this morning, when they get to the Red Sea, it is Moses who raises his rod and lifts his hand and the sea splits. It is Moses who raises his hand and the sea covers back up again. And so there are times when it very clearly says, Moses and Aaron, Moses and Aaron, Moses and Aaron, Moses and Aaron, Moses told, the Lord told Moses, Moses told Aaron, Aaron told Pharaoh. Like we see that, that situation, but there are times when Pharaoh says something, it just says, and Moses told Pharaoh. And so we see at times when Moses actually does speak to Pharaoh. In the next couple of chapters, we'll see that. So I just wanted to point that out for us today to keep that in mind as we go through the rest of the book, that there's times when whether or not Moses is able to speak eloquently or not doesn't matter. Pharaoh says something foolish and Moses says, that's, here's what the Lord says and just tells him on the spot. He doesn't even take the time to say, hey, Aaron, he just tells him directly. There's other times when Moses tells Aaron and Aaron tells Pharaoh. And there's, so you see this progression throughout where eventually we see in the wilderness, Aaron has his own responsibilities. Moses has his own responsibilities. They're actually both needing to hear from the Lord and they're both serving the Lord, doing what they are supposed to do. Aaron becomes the head of the priesthood. Moses is in all essence is, is taking over the civil leadership of everything and he have the priesthood over here. So you have this direction that's happening in Moses' life where he eventually will be doing what God asked him to do at the beginning, but he doesn't go there immediately. He has this, this moment here where we see him going with Aaron, Moses and Aaron. So we'll see that name a lot together. Moses and Aaron, Moses and Aaron, Moses and Aaron. And so I found that part fascinating. And I think the part that, that stirred me the most was the fact that God could have said, okay, Moses, don't worry about it. I'll go get someone else. But he doesn't. He says, Moses, you're going to go tell Aaron. Aaron's going to tell. So Moses goes the whole way with him. And so God grows Moses into the person he needs to be against Moses' better judgment. Moses doesn't think that this is, you know, he's like, I can't talk. And yet he ends up 
in the end, making some of the most memorable and most read scriptures of all time. Uh, some of the speeches that Moses makes have been read more than other literature. When you think about how, what Moses spoke to the children of Israel and it was recorded and, and the Jews and then the Christians from, for um, centuries, millennia past, have been reading this and talking about this. Today in America, when we're talking, when Christians, believers are talking about how to raise up children who love the Lord, we're still quoting Moses and the things he heard from the Lord. We're still going with what he said, what he wrote. And so it seems that Moses was mistaken in what he thought were his abilities or inabilities. And so from that perspective, I found both a warning and some encouragement for myself. There are times when either through the word of the Lord, scripture, or through prayer and seeing the need around me, I sense that God is asking me to do something and I look at the circumstances and I calculate up my abilities and my resources and I come to the Lord and say, it's, it's not gonna be enough actually. We're not gonna make it. And at this point, the Lord can ask me the question and say, well, who owns the cattle on a thousand hills? Who wrote the word of God? Who, whose idea was it to take the word of God to the whole world? Whose idea was it that people should come to Jesus and to surrender to him? Whose idea was all of this? And I have to say, well, Lord, it's yours, not mine. Like this whole Christian church experience operation, that, that wasn't me. I, I'm not, I mean, I'm 2,000 years too late to even try to pretend that I'm the founder of this thing. In fact, anyone in the last couple hundred years who founds a church, it, it becomes heresy so fast. You have Joseph Smith and a few others who've tried it, and it's so clearly heresy when you look at it. You say, well, that's not God, that's not the Bible. And yet people still will occasionally try something. And so, so when I'm coming to the Lord, and I'm saying, Lord, I know, I know, I know I'm supposed to do this. You said it here that I'm supposed to do it, but <laughs> it's not going to work, actually. I have the wrong heart, I have the wrong and so the, the warning is, don't tell the Lord, ask the Lord and bring it to him in the form of a, uh, you know, I, I love what George Mueller did. People would say, well, we're not all called to take care of orphans or whatever. And George more or less said, I, it's not that I was called to do this, it's that the need was in my community and I recognized that the Lord had said he would take care of the widow and the orphan. And so if the Lord said he's going to take care of the orphan, then I should be able to bank on that. And so he was looking, what was George Mueller's actual concern? His actual concern, according to his journal, was that the people that called themselves the people of God did not believe the word of God and were not obeying the word of God and weren't, did not expect God to respond to their prayers or to walk with him. That's my rough paraphrase. That was, George Mueller didn't grow up with a burning passion for orphans. He became a man as a, when he finally came to the Lord after a rough start in his early adulthood, he finally comes to the Lord, submits to him, is interacting with the church of God and looks at the people of God and says, we have a real problem. We're not expecting God to do something. We're not expecting God to be faithful. The people don't expect that this is actually the truth. And so what could we do that would demonstrate that God is alive, that he keeps his word, that he is who he said he was. 
And so as he's reading the word, he finds what God says about orphans and he looks out his window and he sees orphans on the streets. He says, well, right there. Let's start there. If God is real, if God actually keeps his word, then we can take care of those orphans and we can ask the Lord to provide and he will provide. And so when, when George would go to pray, he didn't just say, Lord, it's impossible. He would say, Lord, here's what we've got. We've got 400 or maybe 800 people and they're going to need supper tonight. And according to your word, you said you would take care of them. So Lord, it's time. Let's take care of them. And then he would go into the orphans and he said, well, before we eat, we need to bless the food. So they pray for the food. They bow their heads, they pray. And then they are finished praying. The knock is on the door. This happened several different times, enough to, to use this as an example. And someone, whether it's the milk truck or the bread truck or whatever it is, the wagon as they're going by, they have a problem. They knock on the door and say, look, we have a problem. We don't want to just abandon this food out here in the street, but uh, do you guys need it? And so they bring the bread in, put it on the tables, everyone eats, and they go to bed. And the orphans don't even know how close that was. They don't know that there was a George Mueller on his knees begging God and saying, Lord, you said. And so when you read how George Mueller prays, it's a little bit different than what we often will pray. Like we will be like, Lord, it's hard, it's impossible. And the, and the Lord, this is, my, this is my, the way I imagine it at times, the Lord is saying, so what is your request? And we're not giving a request, we're just saying, Lord, I really doubt that this is your will. I know you could if you wanted to, but I really doubt that you really want to, and we want to honor you no matter what, and you know, let your will be done and all of that kind of stuff. But you know, um, and, and we never get around to asking because we're pretty sure it's not God's will because we haven't read and understood that if the king of glory comes and knocks on our door and, and taps us on the shoulder and asks us to do something, it's not because he's running out of people it's not because he's desperate for help. It's because he's inviting us to walk with him and see something glorious. He's asking us not because he's like, oh man, I just ran out of people. I have no one left that will obey me at all. What should I do? Oh, maybe this one, you know, he's really not very good at anything, but maybe, well, I could maybe, no, that's not the way he comes and asks us. When he, when he gives us the word of God, when he reads, when we see, when we read it, when we see the need around us, when we sense that God is moving, that he's wanting to do something, it's an invitation. He's saying, Moses, would you walk with me? I want to take you back to Egypt. You fled in haste. You were very worried for your life, but I want to show you something. I want to show you that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the God of heaven. He is the God of creation, and I'm going to do something, and I'm going to keep my word to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and we're going to deliver the children of Israel out. It's going to be awesome. You want to come along? Oh, I don't know. I don't speak very well. Well, I didn't ask you, do you speak well? I just told you what I was going to do. You come along and we'll do this thing. And so what is phenomenal to me is the fact that God didn't just say, okay, Moses, psh, out of here. But he continued walking with Moses and Moses eventually really walks with the Lord in, in a powerful ways and sees the Lord is amazing when I think of it. The patience, the long suffering of God. And so it comes back to us. What is God asking us to do? What is our moment where we're like, oh, I'm not very eloquent and I can't do that. What is that moment for us? 
how can we not tell the Lord, but instead ask the Lord? You know, Moses could have said at that point, all right, Lord, when do we leave? He could have said like he did later. There was another time later when Moses was like, Lord, um, if you're not with me, I'm not doing this. He could have said that. And the Lord was like, yeah, that's the spirit right there. I don't want you to go off by yourself out there and do something. You, I will be with you. Because Moses could have said, Lord, uh, I'm just wanting to verify one thing. Are you going with us? If I go back there to the people, I, you, you're going to be there, right? And the Lord was like, yes, I will be there. All right, then we're good. Let's go. There are lots of questions that God is okay with us asking. There are a few statements that God is fine with us making. But there are some statements that we think are so wise and full of proper assessment and logic that God is not okay with us making because it blocks what he's about to do. So we don't want to state an impossibility as if that clinches the argument and we're done. Because we could have gone into George Mueller and said, George, you were very foolish to take on this many young people and think that you could provide for all of them. And George would have said, well, of course that would be foolish. I'm not their provider. The Bible says God is their provider. And so I'm standing with the Lord and I'm going on this journey and I'm getting to see what he is doing. And so he wrote it. He wrote it in journals and things. We can read about it today, what God did to provide. Because he was not going to take it upon himself to say, God called me to take care of all the orphans in England or Bristol even. He doesn't take that upon himself. He doesn't say, well, God called me to do this. So therefore I am going to do, no. He says, the Lord said he would take care of his children. So let's take care of them. We belong to the Lord. Lord, how do you want to provide? And there's a big secret here that we need to understand that I myself have to be reminded of constantly because there will be times, uh, in just in recent months again, I have felt this very strongly, is when the Lord gives us something to carry, like a message or a task or something to do, uh, th there are impossibilities. There's plenty of reason to think, I can't do this, Lord. And yet, that was not his idea to start with. He wasn't asking us to do something for him. He was asking us to do something with him, to walk with him. And that is the big difference. And so I am personally encouraged that if in the past I have told the Lord, no, that's too hard, that he hasn't given up on me. He might bring Aaron in. I might have to go with Aaron at first. I might just be fumbling my way through it but I'm going to continue walking. God is going to be continuing to be faithful. And what I love about it is that with all of this brokenness, when Moses shows up down there and, he, and Aaron speaks the word of the Lord, the people still believed. The people believed. It was enough. And probably Moses didn't tell them the whole account. Like he probably didn't say, and then God threw, then I threw down the rod and it was a snake and I ran away. You know, he probably didn't share that part. He probably didn't explain how he had told the Lord, I'm not, I, I can't talk. Uh, he probably didn't share all that. He just went and did what God asked him to do. With Moses, I mean, with Aaron now walking with him, and Aaron is, doing the, is, is the mouthpiece. And so this is, this is important for us because Moses thought that the deliverer of the children of Israel needed to be eloquent. Why? because he thought he would have to go before Pharaoh and prove with words why this is a good idea for Pharaoh to let him go. He thought he needed eloquence. That was Moses' preconceived image of what the deliverer of the children of Israel would look like. 
Eloquence. Got to be eloquent. Got to be able to speak. And Moses and God says to Moses, no, actually not. That's not what I was thinking. I actually thought it needed to be someone who would listen to me and would and then just tell Pharaoh whatever I said and then boom, watch things, you know, obey me, do what I say. And so he does that. And that's what we end up seeing in the end is that it was more important for Moses to just show up. And then God would, and then Pharaoh would come and say, Moses, Aaron, please talk to God. Tell him to stop doing this. We're going to let you go. And then a little bit later, oh, actually, no, we're not. And so they would go round two, round three, round four. And they kept going until finally they leave. And the children of Israel leave and, and God shows his mighty hand, his outstretched arm. And he does it in ways that it, it shows the power of God. This was not Moses' idea. This was not Aaron's idea. This was not the children of Israel's skill, but it was God. God is doing something. And so I want to encourage us with this. The first time, the second time, the third time, I don't know how many times that in which God might have spoken to you through his word, through the needs you see around you, through potentially a very specific calling in your life, you might have had reasons to explain and say, well, Lord, this is why this doesn't work. This is why we can't do that. But I want to change that where we're not telling the Lord what works and doesn't work, but to say, okay, Lord, we, we're willing. We want to go with you. When, how, even who, we can ask those questions. We can ask the Lord, but we need to be willing to move forward with it. So that was my, those are my thoughts from Exodus chapter four. The fact that Moses had all this interaction with God almost didn't go, but yet the Lord said, you go talk with Aaron. And then the people believed. It was still effective. It was, that was the necessary part. God wanted the children of Israel to believe that he was still the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That he's the God of Israel themselves, their God. That's what he wanted and they believed. Now, we'll continue as we read through here. We'll see other times when they may not believe or they might complain or there are other issues. But at this moment, when Moses and Aaron went and shared what God had spoken, did the signs, the people believed. It is also true that whatever task you and I have been given in the kingdom, whatever invitation that God has extended and said, look, I want you to come along with me. I want to show you something that is awesome. When we obey and we walk with what it is, whatever he's asking us to do, and we walk with him, that people will believe, people will follow the Lord, people will be drawn to Jesus, not because we're eloquent, but because of who God is. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are the God of your people. And that we can now say, Lord, that not only are you the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but Lord, you are our God. You have called us to follow you. And Lord, we have submitted to you. So we want to obey. We want to speak truth. And we want the people in our lives to believe. And so, Father, even if we are not the one, like, the, like um, what, was, what Jesus said to Thomas, even if we're not the one who, does, who has seen the burning bush or who has seen the resurrection, but Lord, we're the ones who have heard and yet we will believe. Lord, and that is our desire is, Father, even if we don't see what we would call a mighty miracle, Lord, we are experiencing daily the miracle of your presence with us and of your calling. And the fact that you, are, you know us, you know our mouth, you know our ears, you know the way we work and function. You even know how we don't function and what, what our brokenness is. And you're okay with that. And in spite of all of, those, all of that knowledge about who we are, you're still the one that calls to us and asks us to walk with you 
and gives us opportunity to speak your words after you and to see people impacted. Lord, we love you and I thank you for our fellowship. And Lord, we ask that you would continue to bless each one of us. And Father, we ask that you would send other families to fellowship with us as well, Lord. We want to be walking together in obedience to you. And we want to be able to encourage one another. And so Father, we pray that you would send the right people to join us as well, that we'd be able to continue in the ministry that you've called us to. We love you in Jesus' name, amen.